Wasn't it great to hear Katie's story and to celebrate with her tonight? So good, so good. <clears throat> what we've seen the last few years is when someone gets baptized, oftentimes there's someone else here that sees that and realizes, you know, I want to take that next step with Jesus. And if that's your uh, situation, you want to do that on the connecting card, just let us know. We'll follow up with you and explain more about baptism and hear more of your story as well. Uh, in this series, we're wrapping it up tonight, and it's Genesis chapter 40. If you have a Bible with you, and you can turn there now. Stepping out of despair is the message as we wrap up Relationship Roadmap. And we're going to see Joseph stepping out of despair. Maybe you've had a desire recently to step out of some despair. And next week, we're going to start our Christmas series, A Greater Love. Curious how many people have Christmas lights up already or Christmas tree? I see a lot of hands. It feels like people are ready this year. Uh, I'm hearing more Christmas music on the radio. I kind of feel like this year people are hungry uh, for God's comfort, God's presence, God's love, and Christmas is a time that brings us back to God's Father's greatest gift, sending his son, and we're going to, the next few weeks, uh, be in scripture, be in the word, and really try to realize that God has a much greater love for us than often we can even fathom or perceive, and we're going to soak in that love, and that will change the way we love one another as well. Genesis chapter 40, stepping out of despair, that's tonight, let's pray. Father God, thank you that you meet us in despair, you love us when we're in despair, you offer uh, strength, solutions, most of all, your presence. God, I pray as we study Joseph's life, Jesus, our eyes would be drawn to you. And I pray as we reflect on our own journey, God, that you would enter in to the situations that feel painful, disappointing, hurtful. And Lord, you would breathe life, you would breathe hope, and you would direct us forward together. We pray in your name, Jesus. Amen. Let's think about Joseph's story together, and instead of just saying it, I'm actually going to walk around, I'm going to be mobile, and this will allow you to kind of visually enter into Joseph's story in another way, and also think through your own story. When Joseph was 17 years old, he had two dreams. These dreams were exciting. The first one was agricultural, and his sheaf rose above the other sheaf's his brother's sheaf, not as high as his sheaf. And in the dream, they bowed down to him, and he shared that with his siblings. And then he had another dream that was celestial. And this time, the sun and moon and also 11 stars bowed down to him, once again, the brothers. And once again, he wasn't silent. He let them know that they were going to bow down to him. And out of those two dreams, I think he was built up, and he was excited, and God was speaking to him, and he was hopeful for his future. Meanwhile, his brothers developed more envy, jealousy, hatred. And as Joseph was continuing on with this dream, it came to the point where his brothers became vindictive and wanted to kill him. And that's the point where some of the despair could enter into the story. They wanted to kill him. Then they made a decision, let's just throw him in the cistern. But then they decide, let's not do that. Let's just throw him into slavery. So he was thrown into slavery. He was taken to Egypt. Now, he served in Potiphar's home, but Potiphar's wife, Joseph, honored God, had integrity, purity, would not do anything with Potiphar's wife. And so she framed him, 
Potiphar then threw Joseph into jail. And from the place of two dreams, now he's alone in jail. And jails were grim then. You were guilty until proven innocent. Many people didn't, never got a hearing. And he was in jail all alone. But there's a powerful phrase in the Bible. And while he was in jail, we read, God was with him. And we read that again, God was with him, God was with him. And there might be points in your life that are low points, lonely points, dark points, where it feels like people have let you down. Because let's be honest, when are we most hurt in life? It's when people have let us down. And you think through how people have maybe let you down recently, and what happens when people let you down? It's easy to sink into despair. It's easy to get stuck in despair when you've been mistreated. And Joseph in prison, mistreated first by his family, then by the environment, the workplace. And, and out of that experience, we read God was with him. And this is the place so often where you meet with God. When no one else is there around, but you're alone and you don't know where to turn, you feel the despair on every side, and yet where's the hope? God is still with me. God is still here. God still loves. God still cares. He meets me in prison. And what happens is we start to abide. We start to listen to God in prayer. Joseph was someone who learned to listen to God. And he abided with God. He walked with God. He was going to be in prison for about two years. Maybe COVID and the pandemics felt like two years, even though it's been a half a year. But so much was stripped away. And where was he? He was in prison, abiding, not wanting to be stuck. We don't want to be stuck in despair. What does it look like to walk forward with God? And tonight, out of that place of despair and loneliness and pain, we're going to look at four steps that Joseph takes. He's going to take four steps forward with the Lord. I know it would be perfect if we had four steps right here. We don't. We have more than four, for those of you who are on the details. Uh, but that, let's just say metaphorically, that represents four steps. These four steps are not a formula. They're not sequential. They're not self-help. Uh, in some ways, there was nothing Joseph could do because he truly couldn't pull himself out of jail. And we truly can't just strap up, you know, and just make it all happen. We can't. At the same time, God also gave him a role. And God gives us a role as we step out of darkness, abiding with him. And as you look at Joseph's life, the dreams, the mistreatment, the prison, God is with him. The steps he's going to take, the four steps that we're going to look at in Scripture. Think about your own journey. How has God met you in despair? How is God meeting you in despair now? Where is your story? Would you say that you're kind of starting out and things are going really well? You're descending because of how people are treating you? You're just stuck there right now with nothing else in life but God and you're just clinging to God? Or are you taking some steps? Are you feeling some renewal and some hope? Where are you in the journey? Think about where you're at. Not the person next to you or sitting in front of you or behind you, but where are you at with God in terms of despair? And let's take a look at the four steps and how God led Joseph and how God leads us in times of despair. The first step is this, serve and encourage someone. That's the first step, serve and encourage someone. And let's take a look at Genesis chapter 40, starting in verse 12. This is what it means, Joseph said to him. He's in prison and the context is someone had a dream. 
Joseph knows about dreams. God's given him a gift to interpret dreams, and he's going to interpret this dream of the chief cupbearer. Joseph says this is what it means. The three branches are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your position, and you will put Pharaoh's cup in his hand, just as you used to when you were his cupbearer. But when all goes well with you, remember me and show me kindness. Mention me to Pharaoh and get me out of this prison. For I was forcibly carried off from the land of the Hebrews. And even here, I have done nothing wrong to deserve being put into a dungeon. What does Joseph do? He uses his gifts. God has given you gifts, skills, and abilities. And when you're in a low place in life, To start to use those gifts is significant. Notice that you can use your gifts in many contexts. It's great to serve in church, but this is in prison. You can serve other people and encourage other people through your gifts, whether it's in prison, in where you live, work, learn, or play. You have an opportunity. It doesn't have to be a formal program. It can be a lifestyle. It can be just the way you treat other people. And as you look around and how you can use your gifts, God's going to bring opportunities Because someone has a need, and you're going to have the opportunity to meet that need through the gifts that God has given to you. That's what he's doing right here. Uh, Notice with the dreams, Joseph was above. He's kind of above his brothers. They're looking up to him. Now, where is Joseph in prison? He's coming underneath another prisoner. He's coming underneath to serve. He's at a low point in life, and he's going to come underneath someone else. And the way out of despair often includes coming underneath and serving other people. If he was consumed with himself, he's honest. He tells you what he's feeling. He doesn't deserve to be in jail. He tells you about the hardships he has, but he's not over-consumed with himself and his story and his hardships because he's going to go underneath and serve someone around him. Adversity often brings humility. God will use adversity to lead us to a humble spot in life where we're ready to serve. And it's going to be important that Joseph trusts God with the results. When you serve someone, don't just look for the reward and no strings attached, but trust God with the results. You know, this chief cupbearer right here is going to forget Joseph. The dream's going to play out, just as Joseph said. Three days later, his position is restored. Now he's with Pharaoh. And do you know what the Bible says? He forgot about Joseph. Has anyone ever told you, oh, I'm going to remember you, I'm going to reward you, I'm going to come through for you, and then they totally forget you? That's Joseph's experience right here. And Joseph's going to be in that prison two years, and then you know what happens? Later on, the chief cupbearer is going to say, I remember my shortcomings. And the trigger is that Pharaoh has a dream, and Pharaoh needs his dream interpreted, and the chief cupbearer, that triggers his memory, says, you know what, there is someone that interprets dreams, and I've forgotten about him, and I said I wouldn't forget about him, but it's going to be much, much later on, and Joseph's in there in prison the whole time. Uh, When you're serving other people, your motives and perspectives are very important. And let's take a look at what Oswald Chambers uh, says. Oswald Chambers, my utmost for his highest is a devotional. You can check that book out. Uh, Oswald Chambers wrote it. Remember whose you are and whom you serve. Provoke yourself by recollection and your affection for God will increase tenfold. Your imagination will not be starved any longer but will be quick and enthusiastic, and your hope will be inexpressibly bright. 
Uh, it's important to remember when you're serving, first of all, whose you are. That's your relationship. You belong to God. The relationship's the most important thing, not the serving. The closeness to God is more important. And remember whose you are, and then also remember who you're serving. Ultimately, you're serving God first, not someone else. God's not going to forget, even if someone else does. And you're going to find contentment and encouragement when you know that you've done it unto the Lord, and whether that person is grateful, remembers, serves you back, doesn't serve you back, You've got an encouraged heart because you know who you belong to and truly who you're serving. And I'll tell you, uh, an encouraged heart is very important in 2020. And how do you have an encouraged heart? Closeness to God and then know that you're serving God. And when you're in that position, uh, there's going to be disappointment. People are going to let you down. But you're going to have an encouraged heart and, again, a secure place that you're serving out of. And let's serve people out of a secure closeness with God. That's what we see with Joseph, and that's his first step out of despair. Let's take a look at his second step. The second step is a plan. Sharing a plan, it's an idea, an insight, and oftentimes when you seek God, he'll give you a plan. So often when we're in despair, God will reveal, God will lead, God will guide us with a plan moving forward, and it's a plan that has life, it's a plan from heaven, it's a good plan. Let's take a look at God's plan. This is Genesis chapter 41 and verse 25. Now again, Pharaoh had a dream, he needs this dream interpreted. Joseph said to Pharaoh, the dreams of Pharaoh are one and the same. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. The seven good cows are seven years, and the seven good heads of grain are seven years. It is one and the same dream. The seven lean, ugly cows that came up afterward are seven years, and so are the seven worthless heads of grain scorched by the east wind. They are seven years of famine. What Joseph receives from God is an interpretation of the dream to Pharaoh, who's leading the country. There's going to be seven years of abundance and then seven years of famine. Don't you think that's a pretty good gift to a ruler? <laughs> Wouldn't you want to know that if you were leading a country, that we're going to have seven years of abundance and then seven years of famine? And out of that revelation, now Joseph's also going to bring a plan. Verse 33, And now let Pharaoh look for a discerning and wise man, hmm, I wonder who that might be, and put him in charge of the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh appoint commissioners over the land to take a fifth of the harvest of Egypt during the seven years of abundance. They should collect all the food of these good years that are coming and store up the grain under the authority of Pharaoh to be kept in the cities for food. This food should be held in reserve for the country to be used during the seven years of famine that will come upon Egypt so that the country may not be ruined by famine." The plan seemed good to Pharaoh and to all his officials, and they went forward with the plan. Uh, this is going to save many lives. God's plan, God's wisdom, it's beyond anything we could think of. But God reveals it, he provides it for us, and we need a plan stepping out of despair. We need a plan in challenging times. And Pharaoh's going to say yes to God's plan. I think it's interesting that Joseph is in Egypt where there's a lot of darkness, a lot of idolatry, a lot of rejection of God, and yet what is he going to do? He's going to serve. He's going to serve people who reject God, 
and he's going to set them up for success. He's going to shine. His light for the Lord is going to shine in a dark place, and ultimately lives are going to be saved. And how is this possible? How can you serve people that were cruel, that were violent? There was a system of injustice. He was sitting in a prison, unfair, and yet he still uh, was setting them up for success to save lives. Beth Moore has this quote in this perspective, and again, finding security. Notice the word hope in the Old Testament. The Hebrew term literally means accord as an attachment. Every one of us is hanging on to something or someone for security. Think about your cord. Who are you holding on to for security and for significance? If it's someone or something other than God alone, you're hanging on by a thread, the wrong thread. What Joseph did is he took a posture of holding on to God, finding his security in the Lord, and because of that, he was able to have God's revelation, God's plan, God's perspective, and the light of God was shining in a very dark place, including Pharaoh's heart. Now that security is going to be important because plans involve risks and they involve faith. And just imagine if you were in Joseph's shoes, it would be easy to start up the what-if machine. Do you ever start up the what-if machine? Well, what if this happens? What if this happens next? And that doesn't go well. What if we don't have this? And what if this doesn't work out? And then what if that? And instead of what if the eighth year, it's actually abundance. What if the abundance is only five years? What if it's two years and there's a year of famine? Like, what if? Are we going to do what ifs all 14 years? And what if Pharaoh doesn't say yes to the plan? And what if Pharaoh rejects me? And what if Pharaoh throws me back in the jail and this is my one chance? And what if none of this works out? And all of that, he's taken by faith out of that secure place of abiding with God and he's going to reject all those fears and the what ifs and he's going to take this risk and bring a plan. Why? There's a heart of compassion. This is God's love for the people in Egypt. When you get close to God, his heart comes into your heart and out of a place of compassion, now Joseph is going to be part of the solution. That place needed solutions. That place, if they didn't know the seven years of famine were coming, they probably would have overindulged, could have been selfish, but instead they had a plan and they needed a plan that place needed transformation. The jail system needed transformation. Pharaoh's heart needed transformation. The country needed transformation. And what happens? Joseph is someone who doesn't add to the problems. He adds to the solution. He brings a solution and he doesn't bring more problems. When you're in a place that is kind of whacked, kind of dark, it's important to abide, be secure, and be part of the solution. And Joseph isn't just going to hide in jail. He's not going to cower in fear. He's not going to give up in despair. He's going to be part of the solution because he's abiding with God. And God is going to use him. And uh, Pharaoh, notice what happens here for Pharaoh. Uh, let's take a look at verse 38. And, and this would be surprising for so many people probably to hear. So Pharaoh asked them, can we find anyone like this man Joseph? One in whom is the Spirit of God. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has made all this known to you, there is no one so discerning and wise as you. You shall be in charge of my palace, and all my people are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. What's happening? Pharaoh's talking about God. He's talking about the Spirit of God. You never know. When you shine the light of Jesus, you never know who's going to respond. 
in 2020, you just don't know who's going to see Jesus in you and start turning to God. I'm telling you, people are noticing now. People are searching now. And many people, let's say that no connection to Grace Community Church, are watching online. They're watching worship. They're watching the Word. They're, they're just, what is this God stuff, and how do you have a relationship with God, and what does it look like to return to God? You know, maybe some watched Katie's baptism today and said, oh, you can return to God. You can break free from the pattern of alcohol. God can change lives. Uh, God welcomes you home when, when you've been wandering and rebellious, and here Pharaoh is going to get a glimpse of God's power through Joseph. It doesn't mean everything's going to be easy. There's still going to be seven more years of famine, but what just happened? Joseph went from the prison, no one knows about him, no one seems to care, to now he's Pharaoh's right-hand man and he's a position leading the country. God has exalted, God will exalt the humble and oppose the proud. And God has lifted him up and out of a place of serving and caring and being part of the solution and taking risks out of all of that, now Pharaoh's in a spot where he's serving next to Joseph, Pharaoh's talking about God, and they're in a position, they have a plan where many people are going to be blessed. And you hear that, and you say, wow, this is the hand of God. No one can do this. God alone can do it. And you think, oh, is that the end? That, that again, Joseph went from prison to now kind of the palace? Was that the end goal? No, it's not the end goal. Uh, when God lifts you up or promotes you or gives you a new opportunity or new provision, that's not the end goal. And in fact, sometimes on the outside, a change in circumstances that's desirable, but God's still working on the heart. Because sometimes we're just like, oh, can I just get relief from prison? Could you just, God, take me out of prison? If I just get out of prison, it's circumstantial. The people around me, the, the, the attitudes, the conditions, if I just get out of that, God, then, and this is what God does. Now God's going to go for the heart. Why? Because Joseph was in a literal prison and the circumstances were so bleak and grim. But you know what? There's a bigger prison in Joseph's heart. And this is the prison of not forgiving. And now God is going to move from the physical prison to a different kind of prison when you don't forgive people. That's a prison that you put yourself into, and we stay in that prison oftentimes. And so here's the third step, and it's a big one. It's forgiveness. And it's a fascinating scene because now uh, what's happening with Joseph's brothers who threw him into slavery, now they don't have any food. There's a famine going on, and people here from other places, locations, and countries that you can come to Egypt and get food. So who do you think is going to come to Egypt? That's right. Here comes the brothers. In fact, 10 of them come, not the youngest Benjamin, but 10 of them come. Let's take a look at Genesis 41, starting in verse 57. All the countries came to Egypt to buy grain from Joseph because the famine was severe in all the world. When Jacob learned that there was grain in Egypt... Jacob is Joseph's dad. He said to his sons, why do you just keep looking at each other? <laughs> you know, that's easy to do. Uh, he continued, I have heard that there's grain in Egypt. Let's be part of the solution, right? Go down there and buy some for us so that we may live and not die. Then 10 of Joseph's brothers went down to buy grain from Egypt. But Jacob did not send Benjamin, Joseph's brother, with the others because he was afraid that harm might come to him. So Israel's sons were among those who went to buy grain, for the famine was in the land of the Canaanites also. 
Now, Joseph was the governor of the land, the one who sold grain to all the people. So when Joseph's brothers arrived, they bowed down to him with their faces to the ground. Right there's the two dreams. It's fulfilled right here. As soon as Joseph saw his brothers, he recognized them, but he pretended to be a stranger and he spoke harshly to them. Where do you come from? He asked. From the land of Canaan, they replied, to buy food. Although Joseph recognized his brothers, they did not recognize him. Then he remembered his dreams about them and said to them, You are spies. You have come to see where our land is unprotected. Can you feel the inner battle within Joseph? Right? He recognizes them. They don't recognize him. He could be kind. He could be gracious. He could forgive. But you know what? He's had a lot of pain in forgiving. There's just a battle there. Do you ever know what's right to do, but you really don't want to do it? You ever have that inner battle where you know what God wants you to do, but you just don't want to do it? And oftentimes it's attached to the pain of people letting you down. And now God is directing Joseph on a path of forgiveness and restoration, and Joseph isn't quite, it's kind of like, I want it, but I don't want it. Like, I, I, I do miss them, and I love them, but I'm not sure. I just want to forgive them, and so it's like, I want it. I don't want it. Inner battle. What's he going to choose? And, and we can relate to that inner battle. A uh, couple things about forgiveness. Forgiveness is not forgetting. Some people say, oh, forgive and forget. Well, no, our minds don't work that way. We don't forget. Uh, that's unrealistic. It's not helpful. Uh, forgiveness does not mean forget. Forgiveness is not easy because you've taken the brunt of the sin and it's not small. So it's not easy to forgive. Forgiveness doesn't mean that you're best friends. You can forgive someone, but sometimes you've got to keep a healthy distance because they're dangerous and it's not safe to get right back in there. And, and that's a reality. Forgiveness is a decision. It's an act of the will. Healing takes a long time. You can forgive someone, but just be at the start of the healing journey. And uh, there's a lot of misperceptions with forgiveness. We don't have time to unpack all of it, but I encourage you to read the Bible and different verses on forgiveness. Ephesians chapter 4 is powerful, and we forgive because Christ forgives us first. And because we are forgiven, fully forgiven, we're going to fully forgive other people. Forgiveness, in essence, is I'm going to let go of revenge I'm going to let go of that poison of bitterness and resentment. I'm not going to carry that around in my heart and my soul. I'm going to let that go and worship to God because of how much Jesus has done for me. I'm going to let that go and forgive. And that's where healing comes in. Romans chapter 12 in the New Testament, starting in verse 18. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge. My dear friends, Leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. When someone treats you in a way that's evil, you overcome that with goodness. You forgive, and you know what the peace that you have is that God is going to have the final say. 
God is the one who will bring vengeance. God is the one who will bring justice. God will handle this. I'm not going to try to step into God's place. God is going to take care of it. And out of confidence in God, you let it go. You release it. Well, here's how it plays out. And this is kind of the runaround. And I'll tell you, when you don't want to really go God's way, life turns into a runaround. And it's a runaround. It's like, what's going on? It's a runaround. Why is there a runaround? Well, I don't really want to do things God's way, so I'm starting up the runaround. Here comes the runaround machine. This is what Joseph does. His brothers show up, and instead of saying, good to see you, I forgive you, enter in, he says, you're spies. So now he's got some accusations going. That's one thing people do. When we're in pain, we often make bad decisions. When we're in pain, we often say the wrong words. It's easy to do. Joseph's still in pain, and because he's in pain, we're going to see that path instead of trusting God. He's in pain, so he's going to say to them, you're spies. He knows they're not spies, right? He's promoting a lie. Uh, They didn't bring the youngest brother with him. And by the way, when they show up, Joseph will like weep, but then he'll try to pull it together for them. And then he gets overwhelmed and he weeps, but he doesn't let them see it. And then he pulls it together. Do you ever feel that inside? Like you're weeping inside and you don't want people to see that you're sad, but then you try to pull it together. And so he's got the emotional runaround going. And next thing is that he says, "I I need to see Benjamin, the youngest. And they leave Simeon, one of the brothers, with him. And then as they're leaving, Joseph puts silver in their packs. And they're just like, what? How do we get this silver? So Joseph starts playing a few games with the silver. And he puts it in their packs. And then he says, no, no, no. It must have been God. I mean, I still have silver here. You got silver. And they go home. They come back a second time. And when they come back the second time, now they've got Benjamin. And this time, Joseph does a little cruel twist with silver. The first time, put silver in their packs. The second time... He takes silver and only puts it in Benjamin's sack. Why does he do that? They're going to head out and leave the second time. And Joseph tells the assistant, go check the packs. Of course, there's the pack with the silver. It's Benjamin's pack. And the brothers are now distraught. And they're feeling just this guilt and shame. What are we going to tell dad? Benjamin, it looks like he stole something, but he says he didn't. And now they're in this emotional. And some people, when they're hurt, just kind of want someone else to feel some hurt. And Joseph is twisting things around instead of just going God's way. It's the runaround. And then Joseph, he just breaks down. He's crying. He can't hold it anymore. And he reveals who he is to them. And I'm sure they're, they're stunned. Uh, Joseph's had a lot going on in his heart, but now he's going to do this reveal and let it out. And he says, go get God, or go get dad, go get dad. But this is what he's going to explain about God because he's unpacking this reveal. And in Genesis chapter 45, now kindness, now forgiveness. Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. He didn't say it right away, but now he says, come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I'm your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now don't be distressed. Even though he's just caused their distress because of his pain, now he's saying, don't be distressed and don't be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there has been famine in the land, and for the next five years, there will not be plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then it was not you who sent me here, but God. That is profound. 
It looks like they sent him here. They sold him into slavery. And he says, no, I see the hand of God. And the hand of God brought me here. The hand of God, as I've been abiding, has lifted me up to this position. And by the hand of God, lives are going to be saved. And sometimes in life, there's the immediate pain and disappointment. And we got to step back by faith and see what is God doing in the big picture? Because maybe if I didn't go through the slavery, maybe if I wasn't in the prison, Maybe I wouldn't have turned to God. Maybe I wouldn't learn how to trust God, abide with God. Maybe I wouldn't have been in the position I am now. I wouldn't have learned. I wouldn't have had the closeness with God. I wouldn't have had the revealed plan to save many lives. You see, now I see what God was doing, that God brings good out of the worst situations. That's the bottom line. Now I see that God is good, and even in the worst situations of mistreatment, God brings good out of the worst situations, and he's preaching his grace. And the grace is going to continue because now dad's going to come. Dad, who thought his son was dead, is now going to see his son, dad and son, reconciled. And that's, that's so powerful. When a parent and a child, there's division, there's distance, there's hatred, there's rebellion, there's all that, and then there's reconciliation that comes over and over again in the Bible what you see um, is a picture of our relationship with God and the reconciliation that so often happens with parents and kids in the Bible as God turns the hearts of the fathers to the sons and the sons to the fathers and the daughters to the mothers and the mothers to the daughters and this beautiful picture of coming together in 47 verse 11. So Joseph settled his father and his brothers in Egypt. He gave them property in the best part of the land, the district of Ramesses, And as Pharaoh directed, Joseph also provided his father and brothers and all his father's household with food according to the number of children. He went from unforgiveness to now provision. And he's giving, it's generous, it is joyful, it's sacrificial, and it's proportionate. I say in the Bible when there's giving, it is joyful. Ultimately, we give it unto the Lord. It is proportional to what we have. It is sacrificial. We're giving up something, but we see how God uses that giving, and God is in the middle of a famine, going to provide, and it's a picture of this full forgiveness in Joseph's heart. Now, Joseph hasn't just stepped out of prison, but he stepped out of the prison of bitterness and resentment, and he's coming alive. He's stepping out of despair. And here's the last step, the fourth step. And this is a step of reassuring. Uh, His dad's going to die, and they're going to be in mourning for 70 days. 70 days of mourning. And how do you think the brothers felt when dad died? Not only were they missing dad, but they're also feeling insecure. Because while dad was alive, Joseph was nice to us. But what about when dad's not here anymore? And they start to get a little anxious And this is Genesis chapter 50, the last chapter in Genesis, verse 15. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, what if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs that we did to him? So they sent word to Joseph saying, your father left us these instructions before he died. (laughs) That's just... uh, Yeah, that's based out of fear, trying to come up with a quick line. Ah, This is what dad said. This is what you are to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now, please forgive the sins of the servants of the God of your father. When their message came to him, Joseph wept. 
He wept because he already forgave them. He wept because he saw their wrestling, I think, with guilt and shame. He's already weeping, missing his dad. He's weeping at the realization that there still needs to be a lot more closeness in the family. And uh, he wept in response to that. And what is he going to do? He's going to reassure them. I'm telling you, uh, reassurance is so important. And you've got people around you who are hurting, who are anxious, and they need reassurance. And Joseph is going to provide reassurance because he's abiding with God. And here's the reassurance that he gives. In verse 18, his brothers then came to him. They threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for the good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. The one who abides with God is speaking reassurance. And why? Because Joseph knows God is good. God brings good out of the worst situations. And Joseph has learned to abide through prayer and listening to God, uh, through trusting God. That's a pattern of his life now is to abide. And uh, when you think about Joseph's story, and again, I did, I did a walkthrough. I'm going to do one more walkthrough uh, to wrap up this message right now. And I want us um, not only to think of Joseph's story and think about your own individual story, but I want to close this by thinking about our story as a church. And the church is people, not the building people. And the church is relationships. And uh, just thinking through about our church this year and what we've been through together. What a year, 2020. And then I want to think about overall God's church, not just this particular local church, but the, the church overall, God's church in the sound, in our country, and beyond. Uh, when I think about 2020 in our church, this is how it started. It started with a sense that God was bringing awakening. And it started on a weekend as we were praying and fasting at the beginning of January, as we do every year, there was a sense of awakening. And I gave an invitation and said, who is passionate and senses and hungry for God's awakening this year? Awakening our souls, our lives, our home, our church, our country, and awakening. And you know what? Hundreds of people responded and just kept coming in and more and more, more and more people. Out of that, we started to pray and we gathered on Tuesday nights and more people were praying and, and coming there. Uh, we started to see more people coming to church and turning to God. We were seeing more and more lives change. There was a sense of such spiritual momentum. And uh, financially, we were out of debt. What was 2.3 million, we just saw God erase that. And it was a time, as I think about Joseph, the first couple months of this year, it's kind of like Joseph's dream, where it's like unbelievable all the things that God's doing in our church, multi-generational, multicultural, just that sense of spiritual momentum. And then you know what happened? COVID hit, didn't it? And I'm going to do one more lap. COVID hit, and suddenly um, people in our church started to lose family. Family passed. Family died, and there was grieving. Suddenly the church building wasn't open. And uh, out of safety measures, we didn't meet together. And suddenly now it's all kind of long distance. Have you ever done a long distance relationship with someone you're dating or, or your spouse? And it's, it feels long distance. We're grateful for digital, but now it's long distance. Now there's more isolation. And as you look around our country, what's happening? Wow, there was more division, whether it was politics or the government or reopening or COVID or racial tension. And, and things 
uh, wow, what a difference during COVID than before COVID. And we're walking through this as a church, walking through this. And Joseph was, you know, in that challenging environment of prison for two years. I sure pray we're not in this deal uh, that long. But in the middle of that, what do we do? How do we walk through this? I'll tell you what we're going to have to do. Keep our eyes on Jesus and abide. We're going to have to remember, just like Joseph, that God is with us. When there's so many things happening in life right now that are out of our control and things that we don't like and are stressful, and you know what? We get tired. We get frustrated. uh, We get on each other's nerves in the middle of all that. It's abiding. It's abiding. God is still with us. And I want to give you a picture uh, of those who you know, study what's happening in the church in our country right now, I want to share a little bit uh, in terms of some numbers, some research. It's estimated that 20% of churches are not going to make it through COVID. That's a lot to take in. Uh, That's a lot. Tells you how difficult it is for so many churches right now. Uh, On average, about 33% of people have been disengaged during COVID. And 25% of people are saying, I'm I'm just not coming back to church in, in the surveys. Say, wow, that's a lot of people we love and care for and know. And it's not a judging thing. It's just uh, you think about what's happened during this year and how our challenges are affecting really the church in so many ways. And then uh, when you think about um, pastors, uh, it's reported that pastors are dealing with five times more um, complaints and criticism than they ever have before. Five times more for the average pastor. Tom Rainier, who works with pastors around the country, says that almost every pastor he's working with, most of the pastors are talking about quitting and thinking about quitting because ministry is just getting so overwhelming between trying to reopen and connect and not connect and challenges and criticism and this and that. And um, what you see a lot of times is that we can, uh, because the situation's so challenging, kind of sink into despair. And sometimes in a church, we can sink in despair because it's not like what it used to be. And what does it look like to walk with God during this time? And um, the last six months at, at Grace have just looked so different than the last six years at Grace. It's like, wow, what is going on? And, and out of all that, what does Joseph do? He abides and he trusts in God. And what I want to say is this is not the end of the story And don't settle for despair. Don't get stuck in despair because God is with us and we can trust God. Going forward, we're trusting God together. And what is God going to do? I would say, similar to Joseph, it's probably going to involve serving people and encouraging people. It's probably going to involve more plans that we didn't have before, but that God reveals that are timely for right now. It's probably going to involve forgiving people because uh, there's so much hurt right now. And whether it's comments or vents or social media or a text or disappointment, we're probably going to really need to forgive each other and probably learn to really reassure each other in the goodness of the Lord and in the words of the Lord. And when you think about abiding, that's the step forward. And you think about our church, you think about yourself, and it's like, what does that look like to serve? What does that look like uh, to be you know, in line with heaven, abiding, in step with the Spirit, forgiving, reassuring? And, and ultimately, what we see throughout the history of the church is abiding with God, uh, abiding in this way. I'm going to close with two verses. The, f- the first one is from the book of Acts. And persecution increased. Peter was thrown into prison. He was about to be killed. 
Uh, that's what it looked like, but God intervened. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying. Just let that sink into your mind and soul. The church was earnestly praying to God for him. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentries stood guard at the entrance. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up, he said, and the chains fell off Peter's wrists. I want to tell you this principle. The more persecution in the early church, the more prayer. The more prayer. And I want to tell you the principle for today. More of the pandemic... More prayer, more prayer. Uh, that's abiding, abiding in prayer. The more challenges with the pandemic, the more prayer. The more challenges of the persecution, the more prayer. This is how we step out of despair together. It, it's more prayer. It's more prayer. And the other one with abiding, not only abiding in prayer, but abiding in the word. And this is from Jeremiah, the prophet in the Old Testament, who had a very difficult role because people weren't responsive. And he says, when I speak, and he spoke warnings, I cry out proclaiming violence and destruction. It'll be a time of exile coming. There's going to be an invasion. So the word of the Lord has brought me insult and reproach all day long. But if I say I will not mention his word or speak anymore in his name, his word is in my heart like a fire, a fire shut up in my bones and I'm weary of holding it in. Indeed, I can't. And what I want to say is that the more the culture rejects God's word, the more we believe it, live it, and say it. And you abide in prayer, earnest prayer, obviously abiding in Jesus, but we abide in prayer. We abide in the word. And the more the word gets rejected, the more we believe it, trust it, live it, and say it. And in what happens, uh, God lifts up the church. The greater glory is the later glory. I don't know. It might get more difficult before it gets easier. I, I, vaccinations are going to come up. There's probably going to be, that's going to be the next controversy is who should take them? Did you take them? Did you not? I mean, I'm not a prophet, but uh, I'm kind of sensing there's going to be a lot of opinions, a lot of, you know, stuff going on. It might get more difficult than it does uh, get easier, but don't despair. Abide with Jesus. Abide in prayer, abide in the word. Earnestly pray, trust God's word, abide in Jesus. And God will lift us up. God will lift up the church to shine his light like Joseph's light in Egypt. And you just don't know like Pharaoh who's going to turn to Jesus in the coming months. Uh, let's pray together. Father God, thank you for your goodness and faithfulness. Lord, uh, we know despair. We are a people who... Uh, every day, even with your presence and your word and your love and the people around us and the provision of clothes and house to live and cars, even with so much, God, our hearts, sometimes they wander into despair and we don't even want to be there and then we don't even know how to get out. God, we thank you that you meet us in the loneliness and the disappointment and the pain when people let us down. You meet us in places like prison and isolation and God, we thank you that you meet us in 2020. You meet us in COVID. God, you're the lifter of our heads. God, I pray that we would not uh, just rely on ourselves and think that we just need to figure it all out. But God, I pray that we would abide in prayer. We would abide in your word, your strength, your direction, your power. And Lord, I pray that even if life looks different or even gets more difficult, I pray, God, that your people, God, uh, across the sound, your people, 
would abide, would trust you, would shine, would endure, would rise above everything we're facing. God, we have a hunger for your presence. We have a hunger for you to shine your glory in this place. God, your glory in the sound. We are, we are hungry for you to turn things around, not just on the outside, but in the deep places of the soul. And we bring to you our disappointment and despair and pray that you would lead and guide us, Jesus. You would lead and guide us. Joseph's life reminds us of you, Jesus. You were mistreated. You overcame it. You overcame death. And you dwell in us, Christ in us, the hope of glory. God, we sing this now to your praise. In your name, amen. Yo, subscribe to YouTube channel. <laughs> <laughs> subscribe to this channel.